Why did you need deliverance? What did you do to cause the Lord to need to deliver you? Because they were notorious about forgetting and forsaking the Lord. Aren't we that way? Notorious for forgetting and forsaking the Lord? How many of you think about Jesus all day long? The Bible tells us that should be at the forefront of our mind, but yet we have jobs. Well, yeah, I got a job, I got to think. But couldn't you think about two things at the same time? Sure we can, we do. I can watch TV and think about something else. Samuel had served the Lord and his people faithfully for many, many years. As he now stands before the people and prepares to hand the reins of leadership into the hands of their new king, Saul, Samuel reminds the people that he had always been faithful. He never cheated them. He reminds them that God had never let them down. If we decided to take the leadership role in our lives away from God, it is important that we take the time to acknowledge that God has always been faithful to us. In today's message, Pastor Ron will make sure we understand that God's faithfulness towards us deserves to be answered with loyalty and devotion. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 12 with today's edition of Come Alive. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to talk about something, a little word called if. Have you ever been in a place of need and asked God for help and, and he sends help? Uh, Kind of, but the clouds really didn't glow in that way that you thought they would glow in a fluorescent orange or a purple. But he sent help through the, you know, hands of men. Somebody came up and said, hey man, here's some help, or here I am to help you. Israel, as we look today in this section, is in a bad place. You know, they have this very, you know, last week we looked at them, they're about to be attacked. They're about to have their, you know, willing to consider to have their right eyes gouged out. And so they have this arrogant and this prideful attitude that their victory was not by the grace of God, but rather by the hands of man now, as we look at this. And have you ever noticed another thing that a battle or a hardship, you know, when when you're in that battle or hardship, your position. Have you ever noticed what your position is? It oftentimes is maybe humble and our prayer is sincere before the battle. We might have that type of an attitude, but then all of a sudden, uh, you know, after the battle, we find victory. Something great happens in that thing where you're like, Lord, I really need help in this. And then all of a sudden, instead of our attitude being receptive and humble, it becomes pride, prideful. And so what do we do then? Well, sometimes our position, again, it changes to that prideful attitude because we assume that instead of being, it being God's grace and favor, that it's the hand of man and it's his strength because of a supernatural thing that happened in a very natural way. We're always looking that God would write a story or a name for a single guy. Lord, who's the girl you want me to marry? And you look, you want it written in the clouds or you want to see the shapes of the trees change into the name of that beautiful young woman that you're supposed to marry. But it doesn't happen that way. 
And Israel is about to make that mistake unless they heed, they hear the heart of Samuel. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice. In all that you said to me, and you have made a king over, and have made a king over you, and now here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my childhood to this day, and here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I cheated, whom have I oppressed, or? From whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. And then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And so here we, we see this section of Scripture. We see this thing taking place. And what happens here, we see some rebuke. And we need to know that the morality is a, a means for ministry. His motive is pure. And too often in situations of counseling, somebody will come up and say something about what they want to do, a, a life move. They'll say, hey, Mark, you know, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I want to run this by you. I want to ask you this question. I want to see what you think. And then oftentimes I'm like, I'll listen, I hear, and I'm like, okay, cool. And just from experience in my own life and from hearing experiences from other people's lives, I would say, you know what? I'm not sure that's going to work out. It, it might even be a relationship issue. I remember at Calvary Albuquerque one time, a couple came in, and, and I was talking to them, and, and so I started asking some questions about the young man, and, and we never really seen him around church, and, and asked said, hey, where do you go to church? Well, I really don't go to church. I'm not into it. And so I said, well, you know, I, I'm not sure if this is a good idea. And I, I remember what they said. It, it wasn't really a red flag. It was more of a yellow caution and I said, you know, maybe a little more time. Maybe you should start going to church because, and I read them some scripture about being unequally yoked. And so what they said was, you know what? No, because we have some friends that did it. And it's working okay so far. They've been married for three years right now. And, and so this is why we want to do it. And so based on what has been shared, you know, again, I, I said, well, you know, I still think you should hold off a little while. That, that's my position as a pastor. That's who I need to be sometimes to say, hey, you know what? Your life move, whether it's a marriage or a job or a purchase, if you come to me for counsel, I got to tell you the truth of what I think and what it's going to be and what could happen. And so at, most often at this point, I hear you're kidding me. You're telling me no, that you don't think this is a good idea? Uh, didn't you hear me say it was the deal of a lifetime, that it was the marriage of a lifetime, it's the relationship of a lifetime? And they look at you and sometimes even say, who are you to tell me what to do? And you sit back and you're looking, you're like, okay, wait a minute. I'm in my office at church or in an office at church. You're here. I was here first. You don't really hang out here that much, but yet you're here. Didn't you ask me? Wasn't it you that came to me and asked a question and what I thought? And so now I tell you what I think and base it off some scripture. And yet you ask, who am I to tell you 
uh, I'm just answering a question that you asked. And you hear that. And at that point, it gets crazy. And they look at you and sometimes even say, you know, slow down. You know, listen to what I'm saying. And they repeat themselves and they try to sell you on the idea now. They're trying to sell you on this idea. And so, who are you to tell me to wait or pray more or get saved? Well, who am I? Well, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just saying it, to think about that thing, that relationship, that job, that house, that car, that whatever is you're chasing. Is it truly God-given based on the info you gave me? I'm just telling you my concerns based off of that info. If it's truly God-given, then go for it. But if it's not and there's some doubt, then maybe you should hold off. Maybe you should stop because I have concerns. You have to think about this. And this is what I ask people all the time. Do I have any other motivation other than a pastor's heart to lead you into any other direction than righteousness? I mean, I could understand if you were buying that Ferrari, and I was out there looking at the Ferrari at the car dealership too, and it was the only one for that great price, and I'm all like, oh, well, bro, you shouldn't get that. Then you might have reason to think, well, who are you to tell me that? Because I know you want it. But I don't have any motivation to tell a couple not to get married, to hold off, to back off. I'm not trying to date. I'm married. I don't want to date your girlfriend. Or I don't want to buy that that you're buying, the house. I have one of those. Or to have children. I'm not trying to take your children. I got two. It's enough. God knows. So what is my motivation to tell somebody to wait or stop? Hey, I have this all the time in counseling situations, whether it be on the telephone or whatever. Hey, here's my recommendation. Well, who are you? Or, you know, you get that attitude of like, hmm, we're going to go to somebody else and ask them. What's my motivation other than a pastor's heart to lead you in the direction of righteousness? Well, there is no other motivation. And so here's what Samuel is doing, the same thing as acting as a pastor, a spiritual leader. He's saying, I'm only telling you the truth because truth needs to be heard. We as Christians need to tell the truth because truth needs to be heard. Again, it goes back to when we counsel, hey, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want me to tell you the truth? Because sometimes those are two different things. It's like when I ask my wife, hey, babe, does this shirt make me look fat? It ain't the shirt's fault. That's what she says. Hey, it's not the shirt's fault, Mark. You remember fried chicken Fridays? Yeah. Can't wait till the next one. That's what makes you look fat. So, I mean, seriously, you've got to think. Sometimes the truth is the truth. Not the shirt, not the pastor. It's the truth. My heart is to give you the truth. People don't sometimes like it. And today we're going to get to a point of truth, and I'm going to ask you to consider some things. Where you're at in your walk with the Lord, the commands that Jesus gives, and you might not like it so much, but that's really not my fault, and or it's not my problem. That's between you and God, and you guys need to work that out. So Samuel, it's not like he nor I or any other spiritual leader can climb the spiritual ladder to success because, I mean, 
God calls you, and that's it. There's not a, a program or a plan that says if you do this, and you'll be this high, and if you do this, and you get this high. It's all based off of what God gives and tells you to do. And so we sometimes don't do or like to hear the truth, but it's very vital that we do tell the truth as Christians to our other Christian brothers and sisters. It's not that my truth is better than your truth. It all should be the same truth. Oftentimes, when you lay out that truth to an individual, you'll hear, well, what you're saying isn't good for me. But I know a guy who did this or a couple who did this, and it worked for them. And here's the problem with that, because a lot of times you will hear that. You hear that in a lot of stuff. This guy did this. This guy started this business, and he did it in this amount of time. Guess what? Just because he did it doesn't make you him. You are not exactly like him, so it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Just because God allowed something to happen doesn't mean he approves it. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, write it down. Just because God allows something to happen does not mean that he approves it. Just because an unbeliever and a believer get married and it worked out for the rest of their lives doesn't mean that he approved that relationship. One person probably had to work very, very, very hard at staying focused on God. Why is that important for us? Well, the context of this story is Israel has just won a war and Samuel sees a bunch of backsliders doing the end zone dances after the victory and says, hold up a minute, just because you've had victory doesn't mean that, you know what? It doesn't mean that inside of God that you are enjoying spiritual success. Just because they had victory over Nahash in that army doesn't mean they're enjoying spiritual success. They, they have success. It's good. Well, let's put it in our terms. Just because you got the great job, the top-paying job, or just because you got the prettiest girl in town doesn't mean that you have spiritual success. Well, I prayed for that. God allowed it. It obviously must be okay. It just doesn't mean what? He approves of it. So the people are saying, we have arrived Many times Christians will, man, the Lord's blessed me with this. Cool. And a few months later, I hate my job, Mark. I hate it. I hate it. Uh, Wait a minute. That's a blessing from the Lord. You can't hate his blessings. I hate it, Mark. It stinks. Really? The Lord blessed you with the job, and yet you hate his blessings? Really? We think about what we say a lot of times. Just because it happens right then and there, oh, yeah, I needed it. You needed it, but it may not be of the Lord. So they had this attitude that said, well, Samuel, when God was our king, there, there were times where we were defeated. There were times where we got beat down. There were times, hey, remember back in the day of Joshua where, you know, we were going out to attack AI and all of a sudden, you know, there were a bunch of us running for our lives. We were really scared because stinking Aiken stole some treasure. But we were defeated and God was our king then. Where was God at that moment? Look at verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It's the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord. Look what he says, reason with you. 
Me and some of the guys are going through apologetics, reasoning through the scriptures. That reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone to Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot their Lord, their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaraths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel, and he delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. Okay, so what he's saying here, again, context, context. We got to go back to the context. What's being said? What's being taught? What's the truth behind this? Backsliders bragging about their success. Look what we did. Samuel gets frustrated. He reminds him, remember, frustration needs to what from last week? Fuel. Help me out. You guys taking notes? I've seen, I've seen people writing. Flip a page. Look at the page before this one. Fuel. Frustration needs to fuel us to do what? Something. Something. So the frustration, and Samuel gets frustrated. He reminds them it was by the hand of God. He looks back to the Lord, says it was by the hand of God. The question needs to be asked, why did they need deliverance? Whenever somebody comes... And they start talking about, well, you know, here's what the Lord did. And then, you know, we didn't, we, we were defeated with the Lord when the Lord did it. And then you got to ask a certain question. Why did you need deliverance? What did you do to cause the Lord to need to deliver you? Because they were notorious about forgetting and forsaking the Lord. Aren't we that way? Notorious for forgetting and forsaking the Lord? How many of you think about Jesus all day long? The Bible tells us that should be at the forefront of our mind, but yet we have jobs. Well, yeah, I got a job. I got to think. But couldn't you think about two things at the same time? Sure, we can. We do. I can watch TV and think about something else. You know, the brain is such an amazing thing that you can read a book and totally read the words and not even know what the words are saying, thinking about something else. So, So there are two things that you're doing. You know you're reading. Catching some of those words. Okay, so here's this. They were notorious for forgetting and forsaking the Lord, but each time they forgot and forsook, what did it say he did, did to them? He delivered. They cried out, and he delivered. He was faithful. And then their reaction to his deliverance, they forsake him. That's the reaction. Okay, cool, we've been delivered. Now let's forsake him again. We move on, you know, <laughs> It's really not God. It was, it was a natural cause. A tornado wiped out our enemies. I mean, any time a tornado can do that. It's almost as insane as the theory of evolution. I mean, if evolution really existed, then you and I should be able to take a pile of lumber, some nails, and set it out there in the parking lot, walk away from it, and in a billion years come back and a house would be built. That's silly. So God delivers them, and then they forsake him. 
And they say, rather than having God rescue us, we would rather have a king rescue us. But see, they're not even smart enough to realize that their king is in a field as a plowboy behind oxen, and what falls upon him? The Spirit of God. God allows him a king. The attitude is, why did you let us fall into the hands of our enemy in the first place? Where, where was God when we fell into the hands of the enemy is always the question. It's always the question even today. When I'm having trouble, where's God? Well, how, let's see. Let's see. How did you get into trouble? How did you get there? See, God's like, dude, where was I? Do you even know why you fell into trouble in the first place? Why you even fell into the hands of your enemy? You continue to run from me and shrug off my commands and constantly want to do things your way, and yet you're asking, where was I? I was here. I was watching, going, really? Seriously? Lord, get away from me. I want to do things my way. We want a king. And later on, we're going to see this problem with the king. In their pride and arrogance and assumption, they have failed to see that it was God who came upon that plowboy to lead them and to direct them into victory. It's like, hey, Samuel, you said God didn't want us to to have a king, but look, hey, bro, we got one, and we won. We won the battle. That's all they're doing right here. We were successful with our new king. What about... When we tell our kids not to do, anybody ever have this problem? I have this problem. We tell our kids, hey, you know what? Or our loved ones or our friends or people in our church, hey, don't do that. It's going to be bad news. Don't do it. It's going to be bad. And you stand the risk. Here's what happens when you tell your kids or your friends or your loved ones not to do something because something's going to happen. The risk is it may not happen. Hey, if you drink and drive, you could get into an accident, and you could kill somebody. And the next morning, maybe your teenage son or daughter shows up and smelling like the bar and like, hey, I drove home drunk, Dad, and I didn't kill anyone. Hey, <laughs> you were wrong. Oh, I was wrong. It must, it must not happen. Since it didn't happen last night, they didn't kill anyone when they were drunk. Well, then it must be okay to drink and drive. But that's the risk. But that doesn't mean that we don't tell them right. No, 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 no. Drinking and driving, no one gets hurt. That's the wrong thing to say. Drinking and driving, somebody will get hurt. It may not happen then. It doesn't mean that it won't ever happen. It may not ever happen, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And for us to think that, well, just because it didn't happen one time, it won't ever happen. Well, that's just bad logic. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new additions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. 
We are a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.